Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Florida Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. It's also made possible in part by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the Brevard County Board of Commissioners through the Brevard Cultural Alliance, Incorporated. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Broatmarkle, and coming up on this week's program, a walking tour of LaGrange Cemetery. When the church was organized and built originally, uh, it was the first schoolhouse, the first public meeting uh, place here in this little settlement of LaGrange. Memories of fishing at Jensen Beach in the early 20th century. Well, they brought a little bit of everything. They brought turtles, once in a while they bring the manatee, but all the time they brought real good fish. All that coming up on Florida Frontiers. There's a place dear to me where I'm longing to be With my friends at the old country church There with mother we went and our Sundays were spent With our friends at the old country church Precious years of memory Oh, what joy they bring to me How I long once more to be With my friends at the old country church The LaGrange community was established in the mid-1800s directly between what would become Titusville and Mims. The LaGrange Church, built in 1869, is the oldest Protestant church south of St. Augustine and the oldest church of any kind south of New Smyrna Beach. The quaint rectangular church with a steeple in front that we're visiting today was constructed in 1871 to replace the original church that was made of logs. Joining us at LaGrange Church is Roz Foster, president of the North Brevard Heritage Foundation. Roz, thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me. The LaGrange Church was was quite a hub of activity for the residents of North Brevard County. Tell me a little bit about how this building was used. Uh, This was the uh, mainstay of the community that settled here as early as 1852. And when the church was organized and built originally, uh, it was the first schoolhouse, the first public meeting uh, place here in this little settlement of LaGrange. Uh, It also was a gathering point uh, for a social affairs, so it was the mainstay of the community. As president of the North Brevard Heritage Foundation, you lead a a variety of of historic preservation efforts, and your work has been recognized by the Florida Historical Society, who presented you with the Caroline P. Rossiter Award for Outstanding Woman in Florida History, and you got your start right here uh, at LaGrange Church. Your work in historic preservation got started here. Tell me about how you began your historic preservation work here at LaGrange. Uh, When the church was restored, uh, itself in, uh, in 1995, I came to the dedication ceremony and I also supported the restoration efforts. Um, I uh, saw the um, cemetery that was adjacent to the church and it was in deplorable condition, overgrown, uh, and uh, the grave sites uh, were uh, lying, the tombstones were lying on the ground and um, uh, vandalized, etc. So um, I, at that time, I belonged 
to the Titusville Garden Club and asked them if they would like to uh, have a project to clean up Colonel Titus's grave because it was in such deplorable condition. And after all, he was the founder of the community. So uh, we all came out and uh, we uh, cleaned up Colonel Titus's grave, which it took a few days to do. Uh, But as we looked around, we also um, noticed that there, there was a lot of history here in the cemetery. And uh, so we decided to clean up another section by Memorial Day of that year, which we did. And we had a dedication ceremony, and uh, which was very successful and very appreciated by the community. Uh, since then, uh, since uh, uh, 1995, it's been a continuous continuing effort uh, to uh, restore the cemetery and uh, we have a team of uh, girls who do that there's about five of us and uh, we work diligently trying to mark on marked graves uh, to uh, validate them of course uh, with obituaries so it's a very uh, uh, long and arduous task to do. Uh, but uh, we're very happy to do it. We've marked over a hundred graves that were previously not marked, and uh, we uh, have uh, compiled uh, genealogy on a lot of the people buried here. Uh, most of them very important um, uh, pioneers uh, who settled in this area in the 1800s. And the oldest graves, or the oldest section of Lagrange uh, uh, Cemetery, is uh, evidenced by uh, most of the tombstones are facing slightly southeast, and it's very uh, noticeable when you look at the other tombstones surrounding it. That's the oldest portion of the cemetery. The next oldest is Section B, which is adjacent uh, next to the church, and uh, the um, uh, and then of course Section C. Which which is on the other end. Now, as, as we walk into the, the cemetery just north of, of LaGrange Church, we're, we're approaching the, the largest monument here, and it uh, has a familiar name. It, 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 this belongs to the Mims family? Yes, it does, and they were the founders of uh, the community of Mims, which is approximately five miles north of here. Now, I've heard a story, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that the Mims brothers uh, were relatives of, of Jesse James? <laughs> that's the <a> story. <laughs> I can't validate that, but that's what they say. <laughs> uh, also here is the grave site of our first undertaker, Mr. Froschner. Uh, he came here from uh, Germany. He was born in Germany and came here, and um, he settled over at, uh, at a, a little settlement called Enterprise, which is on the the North Shore of Lake Monroe at Sanford, and um, he helped uh, build DeBerry Hall, uh, and uh, which is a, a lovely. He was carpenter by trade. When he moved over here and he married uh, one of the Feaster girls, um, it was a necessity, out of necessity, that he became our first undertaker because uh, he could uh, build caskets, and uh, and uh, so he went to mortuary school uh, up in, I believe it was Jacksonville, and came back, and he remained our uh, undertaker for many years. Now as we're walking through this oldest section, uh, or walking toward the oldest section of the cemetery here at LaGrange, uh, we're approaching a much more modest grave than the the marker for the Mims family, and it's the the oldest grave here, uh, and it's from a, a soldier who fought in the War of 1812. 
Uh, this is the Feaster plot, family plot, which is quite large and uh, one of the oldest grave uh, sites in the oldest section of the cemetery. Uh, most of the Feasters uh, that came to LaGrange in uh, 1860s uh, are buried in this plot. Uh, Andrew Feaster fought in the War of 1812. Uh, the Feasters came here in, eight, in the 1750s uh, and uh, settled in a community uh, in uh, Carolina, which uh, they uh, called uh, Feasterville. They started an academy, they started a church, and they were dunkards by, uh, by uh, faith, uh, which is similar to our Quakers. Um, but uh, they, uh, after the Civil War, during the Civil War, uh, 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 the area where they were in were de was destroyed. They came down here because there was land available uh, uh, under the uh, Home Occupation Act and um, uh, they actually settled in Micanopy and then came down here at a later date and uh, uh, when the surveyors were in the area they followed them around and found some really good pieces of property. So uh, when the rest of the family came down uh, they uh, settled here at LaGrange. Uh, over here we have uh, their children and uh, one of them is, uh, this is his wife Mary Norris Feaster. Uh, his children here uh, is um, uh, Julia Ann Feaster Coleman. Uh, she uh, was a widow uh, from the Civil War. Uh, her husband did not die of a bullet. Uh, he died of uh, disease. And uh, she, with her two young children, uh, uh, Robert and Lewis, came here uh, and uh, settled. She was a, a Sunday school teacher at LaGrange for uh, about 52 years and uh, uh, 54 years uh, and uh, she was a mainstay of the community also and uh, it was said that uh, hardly anyone in the area wasn't taught by Aunt Julia as she was referred to and by the way her house that they her uh, um, two um, uh, brothers built for her was uh, here at LaGrange uh, over uh, on the river uh, and it was put together entirely by wooden pegs. As we're continuing to walk through the, the, the cemetery, there are so many stories to be told for each one of these grave sites, I imagine, but uh, we're walking by a, a really unusual looking tombstone that looks like a, a tree stump with a, a vine wrapped around it. Tell me the story about this. Uh, these were provided uh, through the Woodsman of the World, which is an insurance company, and uh, you paid into $100, and that guaranteed you a decent burial uh, and a tombstone. And uh, it was a fraternal order, uh, and uh, the, we have uh, uh, quite a few of these, actually, I think uh, three or four of them, in our cemetery, and um, uh, they, they're they no longer made this way because of the artisan. It's all carved. So, um, and uh, it uh, it's interesting, this particular one, uh, uh, Mr. Orman, uh, it was during the influenza epidemic of 1918. Uh, he died uh, December 3rd. Uh, the little baby uh, died December 5th, and the good Lord uh, saw to it that the mother was um, uh, lasted long enough to care for her dying child, and she died December 7th. So uh, it's a story to be told, uh, as many stories here in the cemetery. 
Well, as we continue walking through the Lagrange Cemetery in the in the oldest section, uh, you mentioned that you started with the the gravesite of uh, Colonel Henry Titus, who is the namesake of of Titusville, and his tombstone is in a, a fenced-in area uh, near here as we, as we're walking through. Tell me a little bit about uh, Colonel Henry Titus. He was quite a, a notorious character. Uh, yes, he was. Uh, he was very controversial. Um, there are a lot of uh, uh, things that um, are written about him uh, that uh, it cannot be backed up by the paperwork, as they say. Uh, and one of the f strange um, things that we found uh, as we're validating uh, grave sites in the cemetery, uh, uh, we uh, looked up, uh, tried to find an obituary for Colonel Titus. And being of such uh, important political statue that he was, we thought there'd be a whole front page on the Star Advocate News paper. Uh, he died in 1881 at the age of 59. And when we looked, we couldn't find anything. So, uh, except we found two little uh, 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 sentences that said Colonel Titus has died, etc., 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 and then there was the uh, uh, on another little feat about uh, you know nothing about his funeral or anything. We thought that was very strange. Uh, four days prior to his demise, um, he had written a letter uh, uh, in retribution for uh, a claim uh, that uh, Titusville was not going to be uh, a, a town of the future. And uh, and that was from Jacksonville. So we actually don't know if he was uh, died in Jacksonville and they brought him down here to Barrie or not. So that's a question. The other thing is that uh, as we were looking up the records, we also found that Mary Titus did not buy this burial plot until 1891, which is 10 years after Colonel Titus was buried. So there's a little controversy about that, whether he was actually buried here, whether he was buried in a cemetery downtown that was originally around um, Orange Avenue, uh, 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 where the old Methodist church used to be. She did give a plot of land there, uh, uh, and uh, we have that, uh, uh, that uh, certificate of land grant for that church and he may have been buried there at one time we do not know uh, we have probed here in front of the tombstone uh, we have not found anything in there however what's interesting uh, we will continue to see if we can find a, a an actual obituary on him because it seems odd of such prominence uh, person that there wasn't uh, a good coverage of his even his funeral uh, there wasn't any description well apparently he wasn't too well liked and <laughs> it, it was actually his wife that owned a, a lot of property as you mentioned around here but uh, the town is named after him uh, could you you tell me the story of, of how Titusville got its name. Uh, the legend goes that uh, Colonel Titus and uh, Captain uh, Rice uh, had either a, a, a domino game or a card game, and it was said uh, whoever won uh, was the name was going to the town was going to be named after them. And uh, knowing Colonel Titus, uh, uh, possibly he cheated a little bit, and uh, it became. Titusville. Now, as we continue walking toward uh, the back part of the cemetery, this is where the, the black section, uh, the African-American section of, of the cemetery is, and I uh, imagine there was a, a lot more work to be done back in this section as you started trying to document grave sites. 
Yeah, very much so. In fact, uh, when we started working out here uh, uh, on uh, restoration of the cemetery, we had no idea that it was a segregated cemetery. So it didn't make any difference to us. Uh, it, it, we were just here to clean up. Uh, what we did is uh, there was uh, it had been neglected for quite some time. So it was a huge chore to clean that cemetery up. But we just got in there and did what we have to do. Now understand this has been over a long period of time and uh, but we cut bushes down and we uh, hauled out lots and lots of trash. Uh, end result was uh, Rose Woolley who works with uh, with us and has been working with us on uh, restoration and I uh, then what we did is we mapped the whole cemetery uh, plot by plot which is an arduous task in itself and uh, then Don Brashera who works does computer work for us uh, put it in the computer and um, uh, did a layout uh, uh, of every single we we numbered every single grave site there whether it had a grave in the in the plot or not uh, we numbered it because for future uh, reference and uh, even as in the white section even today we find unmarked graves we validate them and we mark them uh, one of the interesting uh, things in the uh, black section of the cemetery after we got it marked up we did find uh, that a lot of people started coming back out and putting flowers on the grave a lot of people got in touch with us and and said we know where where um, my aunt is buried or a child is buried or this. So that helped us in finding new uh, the uh, lost graves and they were very grateful for that. Uh, that continues today. Uh, we also had a gentleman uh, who came forth. He knew the work that we were doing and uh, he wanted to re uh, remain anonymous, which uh, we we uh, respected his wishes, and uh, he do donated uh, quite a bit of money uh, in, to our efforts to mark these unmarked graves with uh, with granite tombstones. So Abel Monument Company uh, worked with us and gave us a special uh, rate uh, to do this to help us restore the cemetery and they're uh, 10 by 16 granite stones and so to honor this gentleman uh, who uh, with uh, did this out of uh, Christian love uh, we had uh, little hearts put on uh, at the bottom of the right hand side. Um, when uh, we bought as many tombstones as we could validate at the time, uh, which was quite a few. Uh, the next uh, section that we did is we started uh, raising funds uh, from our um, uh, services at the church or our special programs at the church, and we had fundraisers. And uh, we raised enough money to uh, buy our own tombstones uh, uh, to mark the unmarked graves, which we continue today. And they have little Christian crosses on the bottom of the churches. Now, as we make our way toward uh, what is the northeast section in the in the black section of, of the cemetery, we come to the grave sites of uh, what are certainly the most uh, recognizable names buried here at, at LaGrange uh, Church Cemetery, and that is, uh, of course, civil rights activists and educators Harry T. and Harriet V. Moore. Uh, yes, uh, they are located in a very historic uh, portion of the Black uh, um, Cemetery. Um, Harriet and Harry T. Moore um, 
uh, they're finding rest of place is actually not too far from where their home, original home was uh, uh, just off of uh, North Dixie Highway. It's actually about two miles from here. Uh, when their bomb uh, went off on uh, Christmas uh, night and uh, killed Harry and uh, uh, nine days later, Harriet died of of the of uh, injuries sustained from that bombing. Um, every uh, December, there is a memorial service here, uh, paying respect uh, uh, to uh, to these wonderful people. Uh, but also uh, adjacent to them uh, are uh, some of the well-known. Um, pioneer black families of the area uh, who settled this area in the 1800s. Uh, the Stricklands, the Warrens, uh, the Kylers, uh, uh, Sheldons, Heightsmith, uh, uh, a lot of them are, are buried uh, in, the, in this cemetery. So we also honor them. Well, now, as, as we've been talking about, your, your work here began in 1995, but maintaining this church and cemetery and the research must be an, an ongoing process. Absolutely. We continue today. Uh, we continue to find unmarked graves, uh, but we... Uh, we also help people uh, who cannot find uh, uh, the grave sites of their loved ones. They know they can call us because we have extensive records that we've compiled. A lot of mapping. Um, uh, Patty Andrews and Marie Braswell uh, are continuously working, uh, uh, doing research in the summertime and uh, validating and probing uh, during the cooler months. Uh, to uh, And now we have a matrix or an index uh, telling us uh, uh, by section uh, uh, what records we actually have. So we can take a look at that and we can say, okay, we have an obituary, we have a mortuary record, uh, there is a marker, there isn't a marker, uh, and, uh, and it has been validated. And that is an enormous task. Uh, uh, we've been working, uh, they've been working on that about three years now and just uh, completed the two historic sections of LaGrange and our work working on the third one, which is Section C. Well, Roz, thanks so much for giving us this walking tour through LaGrange Cemetery. Okay, uh, there's one other little interesting um, uh, thing that I would like to tell you. In the uh, black section, uh, in the back there was a tree uh, with a lot of concrete block and a lot of junk underneath of it when we first started here. And it was in the back section, but a very pretty site. So uh, we cleaned that all out and hauled all the concrete blocks and the debris away. And um, uh, and some of the broken, uh, after we said this, we said, you know, there are so many unmarked graves here that we'll never be able to find. Uh, let's make this a little memorial garden. So I went to uh, Able Monument, and anyhow, we have um, a, 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 a large marker there that uh, states that uh, this is dedicated to those who rest in unmarked graves, that they will not be forgotten. And we placed it there, and we put flowers there for the holidays, and of course, American flag for there. But what what happened when we did that? Uh, we started placing so we could surround it and define it more. Okay, uh, so it would be a place in the cemetery to remember these people. Um, we started putting pieces of brick and concrete that we found or rocks in a circle around it. 
okay? Well, other people started bringing rocks and pieces of brick and, and built until what we call the circle of unity was completely closed. And today, people put flowers in there in memory of, of, of their loved ones that they don't know where they are uh, in the cemetery and we haven't found yet. And uh, it's just a lovely way to uh, memorialize uh, those who do lay on unmarked graves. Great. Well, thanks again for giving us this tour. Thank you. Roz Foster is president of the North Brevard Heritage Foundation. LaGrange Church, originally constructed in 1869, is the oldest Protestant church south of St. Augustine and the oldest church of any kind south of New Smyrna Beach. Precious years of memory, oh what joy they bring to me, how I long once more to be. With my friends at the old country church. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. I'm Ben Broatmarkle. Janie Gould of WQCS speaks with Norris Tilton, whose family settled in Jensen Beach in the 1890s. Fishing in the Indian River was a mainstay of our pioneer economy. R.R. Riku of Jensen Beach had fish houses up and down the coast starting in the 1890s. His grandson, Norris Tilton, practices law in Jensen Beach. As a boy, he sometimes got to go out on the river with commercial fishermen. They lay out the seines, the regular seining nets. It takes quite a while to lay them out and a lot longer to bring them in. And they bring them in by heaving engines in the fishing boat by rope. What do you mean, heaving engines? Well, a heaving engine is an old engine that runs on mostly steam, I guess. It just has a great big old head on it, and you wrap the rope around it, and you just keep pulling the net on. The net has a big rope on it, and you keep pulling the net in like that. How big were the nets? And this was fishing just in the river. Yeah, it must be a quarter of a mile, half mile, something. They were tremendous nets. How did they set them out? With a boat. They just uh, came out the back of a boat as they went around. You pull the uh, the net boat with another boat, see, and they just laid it out wherever they wanted to go. Ever get <clears throat> twisted up with somebody else's net? No one anybody else around. That made it convenient. That's for sure. And what would they likely bring back? What do you remember them bringing in? Well, they brought a little bit of everything. They brought turtles. Once in a while, they bring a manatee. But all the time, they brought real good fish. You know, and a lot of them bottom fish, a lot of them snook, a lot of them trout. Was it a pretty lucrative business? I don't have any idea. <laughs> they didn't tell me whether they made any money. But they brought turtles in. They let us cut them open and give us a back flipper if we would butcher them all the way through. And that was real good meat. How did you butcher them? Turn them over, and then there's a gristle all the way around the shell. On the inside, just about half inch. Take a knife and run all the way through there. And then the flippers were where most of the, the best meat was, right? Front flippers where all the meat was, yeah. The front flippers? Yep. Why not the back flippers? They're smaller. Neck has a little bit. They make soup out of that. But the liver was good? Yeah, just like cow's liver. We're sitting in your law office in Jensen Beach. This all used to be part of your farm, right? Your parents' farm. Well, if you call it a farm, I don't know. We just had a cow, two cows sometimes. 
and pigs, chickens, always had chickens. Norris Tilton's office is in the busy downtown area. It's no more than 50 feet from the riverfront house he grew up in, which is still in the family. We had one store down here on the corner, across the corner from where Mulligan's is, and that's Palmer's Grocery. So all three of our boys used to work there. I remember we all got 10 cents an hour. What else did you do to make money when you were a kid? I ran the uh, Miami Herald route for selling papers. Had an old Model T, but didn't have a battery in it, so we'd park it up on the hill there and let it roll down and get it started. Yeah, we traded that in, got a Model A, and everything worked better. Did everybody, virtually everybody around, get the Miami Herald in those Most days? Most everybody did, yeah. I think it cost 25 cents a week or something. Janie Gould from WQCS prepared that report. You've been listening to Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. Please join us again next week, and until then, visit us on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Broatmarkle. Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Florida Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. It's also made possible in part by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the Brevard County Board of Commissioners through the Brevard Cultural Alliance, Incorporated.